Thank you, Gus. Please turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 72. I'm sorry, 27. Wow, that was backwards. Psalm 27. Uh, for those uh, who have been with us on Zoom, and I just want to thank you again for, for those of you who've been with us uh, all these weeks on Zoom for, for our sort of substitute church service. Um, we've been working through various psalms for the last several weeks, and now we are in Psalm uh, 27. Uh, one more thing, I, I got to say one more thing too about Scott, just like Ian did, just because I can't let him get away with that kind of stuff. That's not okay. I had no warning he was going to go through that whole list. Good night. Anyways, um, Scott, I think one of the things Scott does for me more than maybe anybody else is things that I take for granted as being no big deal or I don't really think much about, he wakes me up to the shocking reality of these blessings. And so Scott just helps me feel, not just know, but feel like, wow, like my, my family, my home, my job, the things that we're able to do, like these are unbelievable gifts of grace. And I'm complaining about whatever I'm complaining about. And Scott just sort of shocks me back to say, how are you not in awe of, of God's incredible grace in, in, in your life, in our lives? So that is just one of the things that, that's enormously, I think, significant for us as a church is just that, that waking us up to God's many blessings. So Psalm 27. Um, these, I'm going to go ahead and read through it, and then I'm going to break it into some parts here. Uh, this is a Psalm of David, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So this sermon is, I've titled, How Seeing God's Face Defeats 
our fears, how seeing God's face defeats our fears. David is dealing with what he seemed to always deal with. He's got adversity going on in his life. If, if we have not made this clear enough as a church at this point, I'll make it clear again. For those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, affliction and persecution are inevitable as part of the Christian life. David faced enemies, he faced all kinds of adversity, and this ran from the beginning of his life all the way to the end of his life. It was a mark of his life. We don't know which specific situation this was, but it was one uh, of the many that we know of. Let me break this down here into into really uh, four parts. Uh, So verses one through three, I'm going to call the soul's confidence, and I'm getting help here from James Boyce and from um, other commentators. The soul's confidence is verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 to 6 is the soul's longing for God's house. That's verses 4 to 6, the soul's longing for God's house. Verses 7 to 12 is the soul's longing for God's face. Verses 7 to 12, the soul's longing for God's face. And verses 13 and 14, the soul's patience, the soul's patience. So we will break these down as we go. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. This is the soul's confidence. Verse, again, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So David is facing his fears. For us, it might be not physical human enemies. It might be things related to the COVID-19 situation. It might be other things. It might be fear about job security. It might be financial fear. You might have relational fear about something going on in your family right now. Maybe there's drama between you and a friend. Something is not going well. There's, there's fear. There's a sense that things are not going the way I would want them to go. How can I maintain my soul's confidence in the midst of fearful circumstances? Can we agree 2020 is the year of fearful circumstances? What is wrong with this year, ladies and gentlemen? Every time I check the news, I'm like, is this a true news story? What is happening now? Every 24 hours, something else is happening. So in light of all the fears that surround us all the time, things that maybe will never even happen, but we just think might happen. Isn't that 75% of the battle is just things we imagine could happen that never even materialize in our lives, but we have fears all around. How does David fight his fear? How does his soul maintain confidence? And he, he preaches three truths to himself about God in verse one. The Lord is not just light, salvation, and stronghold, what is it? The Lord is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Just take that first one, my light. The Lord is my light. Um, my son is afraid of the dark. He's almost four. I, I, I was there. Okay, when I was four, I was also afraid of the dark. We got a little nightlight in the room. Uh, why are we afraid of the dark? Well, in the dark, you cannot see what is really in front of you. In the dark, you cannot see reality with clarity. It's frightening because you don't know what's going to happen. There's no sense of vision, no sense of clarity, and therefore there is uncertainty and there is fear. David says, I would be lost in darkness, terrified right now, but I have light. 
and my light is the Lord. I found out this week, this surprised me, and you can fact check me because I only read this from one commentator, but actually I think it was two, but the Lord is my light. The only time in the entire Old Testament that the Lord is actually called the light is this right here. The New Testament happens a lot. John 1, 1 John 1, a lot in the New Testament. But here it's the only time I think the Lord is actually called our light explicitly in the Old Testament. What is David saying here? David is saying that the truths of God's word allow me to see further than my eyes can see. I can see things that are really there with the eyes of faith that circumstances blind me to. And so when David wants to turn the lights on, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, the word of God lights up the darkness. And so we may not know what is going to happen circumstantially tomorrow. Maybe there is job loss. Maybe there is financial trouble. Maybe there is relational conflict in our future. But we know that the Lord's promises are going to be true for us, that he is with us, that he is in our midst, that he knows what we are going through, that the Lord Jesus knows from experience what these things are like, and he knows what it's like to hold fast to God as our light. I don't want to go on and on about this for the sake of time today, but I just have to cross-reference. You don't have to turn there. Listen to these words about light from 1 John 2. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This here allows us to see, based on God's true promises, what we know to be true, that for those in Christ, God has not left us or abandoned us, and that God is for us. He is our light. Number two here in verse one, it's my salvation. This means that God is here to deliver us. In this context, David is probably focusing on physical deliverance from enemies is probably his focus, but this applies to all of God's deliverance. God delivers us from enemies within us and enemies outside of us. And let me say this very clearly. Your greatest enemies, no matter who you are, are not outside of you. Your greatest enemy comes from within. See, Satan is a real enemy. Demons are real. People who want, perhaps, some, who wish you ill, who desire to harm you, those people can be real and really exist, and they can harm the body. But my own temptations to sin are the deepest enemy in my life. And the, the most aggressive opponent that I must fight against is not other people. Uh, the, the number one enemy that I must oppose is my own flesh. Romans 7 says we're, we're constantly tempted to do what we don't want to do and what we hate we're tempted to do. I find it to be a law that whenever I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes on to speak of no condemnation. So God can save us. Ultimately, from our enemies outside, he will save us, but he is also here to, to deliver us from the sin and the enemy within us in our own flesh. Number three, God is our stronghold, our refuge, the stronghold of our life. See, a stronghold means I am weak. I know that. 
I feel that, but God is strong. He is a mighty fortress. He is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. I can hide within God's protection, and the Lord will be the stronghold of my life. He will be my protection. So how do we maintain confidence in the midst of fear? We preach the truth of God's character to ourselves. God is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. Look with me here at verses 4 to 6. This is the soul's longing for God's house. So in the midst of David fighting his fears, what does he think about? Verse verse 4. It's a great verse. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see, the, it's, he refers to this as the house of the Lord, the temple, the shelter, the tent. Now, just a little historical footnote. Remember, the temple had not yet been built in David's life. Remember who built the temple? That would be his son, right? So Solomon does. So David refers to the, the, the tent as the tent, but he also refers to it as the temple. He's kind of mixing these words together because to him, this is the place where the Lord dwells, and this is where he wants to be. And I just want to spend a moment here focusing on verse 4, because I think this is maybe the central verse of the whole chapter. When David is in the midst of fear and uncertainty, what's the one thing he wants? One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, gazing on the beauty of the Lord is not something that you do so that you can get other perks and advantages. Okay, it's not like it's useful. Okay, like, okay, I'm going to gaze on the beauty of the Lord so I can get some stuff from God. That's what I'm all about. God is useful, so I'll gaze on his beauty to get something from him. No, gazing on the beauty of the Lord is an end in itself. I I heard one pastor say that when they were in college, when, when he was in college, he took a music class. I also took a music class. Maybe you have as well. It strangely did not increase my appreciation for music, but we won't talk about what happened in that class. But in, the, in that class, you have to listen to all these different kinds of classical music, and you have to sort of memorize what they sound like, and sometimes you're even shown little clips, and you have to identify them by memory, and it was kind of tricky. And uh, this one pastor said that he had to pay money, uh, a good bit of money, to take this class. He had to buy different kinds of music in order to, to pass the class. And he said then he became older in his life, and he said as an adult, he now pays lots of money just to buy that music and listen to it because he enjoys it. He said in college, it was just a duty. He had to pay money. He had to listen to it, but it was useful to get a good grade. He didn't really delight in the music. He just gritted his teeth. He listened to get a grade, and then he, he tried to pass the class. But he said as an adult, he grew an affection for the music itself, and now he pays lots of money just to listen to the music as an end in itself. So the whole coming together as a church, there are many benefits to this. 
But I hope in your heart of hearts, the primary benefit is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord Jesus. That's why we're here. It's to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek his will in his place. That is what we are about. I know that we don't have a temple right now in Jerusalem, but we are the temple, right? We are living stones being built together as a temple of God. And coming together as God's people is a place where we can seek God's beauty. I want to read a quote from James Boyce. Listen to this. He says, There is something to be experienced of God in church, in this gathering, that is not quite so easy to experience elsewhere. Otherwise, why have churches? If it is only instruction we need, we can get that as well by an audio tape or a book. This was written a few decades ago, ladies and gentlemen. If it is only fellowship, we can get that equally well or perhaps better in a small group. There is something to be said for the sheer physical singing of the hymns, the sitting in the pews, the actual looking to the pulpit and gazing on the Bible as it is expounded, the tasting of the sacrament, the very atmosphere of the place set apart for the worship of God. Isn't that true? Haven't you found a sense of God's presence simply by being in God's house? I do not mean God cannot be and should not be worshiped elsewhere, but I am suggesting that the actual physical worship of God in the company of others is a tremendous blessing. And that is something I think we can appreciate right now in a unique way. Okay, so David wants to gaze on the Lord to, to, to strengthen him against his fears. Look next, verses 7 through 12. I'm calling this the soul's longing for God's face. The soul's longing for God's face. He expands on this concept of gazing on the Lord. Look at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And just pausing there, do you see the emphasis on God's face? Seek his face. Do not hide your face from me. You and I were made for awe and glory and wonder, and it can only ultimately be found in the face of Jesus Christ as God's glory comes out of his face in the gospel. So look with me at verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now there's a debate here. You know, is, is David saying that his parents literally disowned him? Because there's no record in scripture that that ever happened. Is it referring to his parents having died? And this is perhaps later in David's life, dealing with his parents having, having died. Um, or is David speaking sort of metaphorically, like if my parents were to forsake me, if my father and mother were to forsake me, the Lord will still take me in. I'm not sure which answer is the correct answer. But either way, the truth is still true. Here David is saying, we so often rely on these close relational uh, relationships with father and mother and brother and sister, and those are precious to us. Some of us perhaps have great relationships with our parents. Some of us perhaps have very challenging and difficult relationships with our parents, depending on where they may be spiritually in their walk with the Lord, where, where many things may be. 
And this verse should be comforting to all of us, but especially those in a difficult situation. Because he says, even when there is conflict amongst even our own parents and our relationship with them, he says, even there, the Lord will be our true parent. He will be our true father. He will take us in, even when we lose that acceptance that we so greatly desire. And Boyce says four things here. We, we see God in this text as being like our true father who can help us in the midst of our fears. So there's four ways that we see God as our father here. Listen to this. So number one, we seek, just like we would seek from our natural father, we seek acceptance. Look at verse nine. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God, of my salvation. So we seek acceptance. And God, as our Father, can give us that unwavering acceptance. He will not cast us off. He will accept us. Number two, we so often seek from our, from our parents. Uh, we seek to be heard. Verse seven, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. It's so often, children just want to know that their parents hear them. They may not even want a response. They just want to know that my parents hear, they care, they listen. I mean, listening is such a way of showing care for others. And here, David says, God is my true father. He is going to listen. He will hear me whenever I speak to him. Number three, we seek guidance from our parents. Look at verse 11. And David gets this from God, his father. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So David gets guidance, the fatherly guidance from God. And finally, number four, we seek protection from our parents. And look at verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So David is seeking protection from his enemies, from his God. Okay, now look with me finally in these last two verses. This is the soul's patience, verses 13 and 14. This is what happens when maybe our circumstances have not changed as we would want, and we're sort of stuck waiting. How do we handle that? Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. Maybe we have a desire for something that is a holy and good desire. It's a good thing that we desire. And it's a large desire in our heart. Could be for any number of things. And we are pleading with the Lord to grant that desire. G give us that. Lord, please give me this desire of my heart, which I believe is for your glory and for my good. And you wait, and nothing happens. And you ask again, and you plead more, and you believe it is a good thing that you desire. And the Lord seems to be withholding a blessing of some kind from you that seems to not make sense to you at the time. I've been there many times in many different times in my life. And David hits a point in this psalm where apparently his enemies are still present. The circumstances haven't changed. 
He's calling out to God for help. He's fighting his fear. He's preaching truth about God to himself. He's reminding himself of his, God's fatherly care. But the circumstances have not yet changed favorably, and David is stuck. What do you do then? And David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know that what is good for me will come to pass in the future, and I know it for sure. I believe it with the eyes of faith. I see it out there, but my circumstances are still with enemies all around. And so I am going to stay here confidently waiting on the Lord's timing. I'm going to be strong. It takes strength to wait on the Lord, God's strength, and to let your heart take courage and to wait on the Lord. This psalm ends with David surrounded by enemies, fear on every side, fighting fear with truth of God's word, relying on God's promises, and laying his heart out in the presence of God, and just waiting in God's strength for the timing of the answer to his prayer. Now, I just want to shift for a moment here. When you think of the Lord Jesus, there are so many aspects of this psalm that you you think of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Isn't this the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in a sense? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. If there's any way, Lord, for me not to be abandoned on the cross, please provide that, but your will be done. Look at verse 12, middle of verse 12. False witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I mean, the Lord Jesus knows what it's like to be in fearful circumstances. The Lord Jesus knows from his human experience what it's like to be surrounded by enemies. He knows what it's like to have Roman soldiers come into a garden with torches and clubs to arrest him. He knows what it's like to be forsaken by a dear friend with a kiss. He knows what it's like to face all those fears, to plead for alternative, and to hear God's silence and to hear God say, no, you must endure my will for you, which is not what is going to be pleasing to you. And the Lord Jesus knows what it's like to have false witnesses rise against him and blaspheme and accuse him falsely before the Sanhedrin. But the Lord Jesus waited on the Lord, and he waited and he endured the cross while he waited. He endured the cross in our place, suffering what we deserve. And after his burial and resurrection, the Lord finally brought him to his right hand. And today, you know, you may not remember this, these things, but it is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Jesus ascended to heaven last week by the church calendar. And this Sunday, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, which is when the Lord Jesus poured out his spirit on his people. And that is what we so desperately need to experience today. So when we read these Psalms, we must look to the Lord Jesus who pleaded with the Lord, knew what was true, and ultimately trusted in God despite the circumstances that were so horrific for him. So would you bow your head with me for a moment? Lord Jesus, you, because of your true humanity, 
you understand what it is like to experience so many of the trials that the psalmist endured, and yet you endured them with unwavering confidence in your heavenly Father, trusting Him entirely. And Lord, we thank You that You can come alongside Your people, those of us who are afraid, who are weak, who don't know what to do, those of us who are afraid of certain circumstances, who want things to change and are not seeing those results, that you are the God who comes near. You are the God who sympathizes with us and feels compassion in our infirmity. And Lord, we thank you that while we wait for an answer, while we wait in faith, we thank you that we can know things with certainty. We know that you are our light in the darkness. Lord, we know that you are the stronghold amidst difficulty. Lord, we know that you are our life and all that we need. And I pray now as we sing that you would help us to trust you in the midst of the chaos of life, that you would help us to rely on you. And we thank you for your goodness and your fatherly care. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.